G'day, everyone. Quick message before we start. What we're trying to do with this podcast is to help people better understand their mind and how it works and give people practical strategies they can use to maintain and improve their mental health. Would you consider helping us to continue to do that with a financial contribution, large or small? If so, thank you. Just follow the link in the show notes. All donations, $2 or more, are tax deductible. Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. I'm James O'Loughlin. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Today, we're talking about people-pleasing. That is a trait that comes from a good place. We want to help others. We want them to be happy. We want to help them be happy. But we have to have some balance, don't we, between helping others and fulfilling our own needs. Some people consistently prioritize others over themselves all the time and put themselves second, third, or even last. Thankfully, I'm not one of them. They are often seen as agreeable, helpful, kind. Again, I'm not one of them. But people pleasers can ignore their own needs, the the things they need to be mentally healthy. Uh, and not be great at speaking up and advocating for themselves, not be great at saying no. And that might not be a recipe for a happy, fulfilled life. So, Ian, helping others is good. We've talked about how doing things for others is good for you, good for your mental health, right? We do a good deed. We feel this warm glow. So what's so bad about being a people pleaser? Come on, don't be a Grinch. When you totally suppress your own desires, yeah. your own needs yeah. to ne- fit in with. I've never, ever done it, but yes. <laughs> yeah, we had to start this episode saying, of course, James and I are not a, neither of us. <laughs> yeah. So I really have empathy when we talk about anxiety or anything to do with that. I'm like, I feel you, I feel you. Here, um, really, my wife Lucy should be doing this. Yeah. Some people are kind of good at it, mm. but I think we're talking about like going too far with it. Yeah. Like constantly putting aside your own desires. Not your saying own Lucy needs. does that, by the way. She's just very nice, just in case she listens. <laughs> yes. Not talking about anyone we know. Well, I think you raise an important thing. A lot of people are good at fitting in with groups, reaching compromise with groups, coming to agreed things without putting aside their own entirely needs. their own needs. I, and that is a very hard balance, actually. I'm not very good at it, of ensuring the group is happy yeah, but not compromising what you believe in and what you think the group should be doing. That's yeah, so difficult. some people some people are very good, I think, at achieving the win-win situation. I think you're quite good at that. Oh. Much better than me. <laughs> I think we we'll have to have a vote <laughs> amongst the people I know and work with who I think would more say I'm most of the time pretty clear at what least about want? what I would prefer to do. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't compromise or change or whatever, but at least I'm going to come out front and say, no, I'd prefer yeah. to yeah. eat steak. <laughs> okay, I can go vegetarian, but I'd prefer to eat steak. I'm yeah. at least clearly making my perspective known mm. and then working with people to find common solutions. I think the people we're talking about are the people who don't do that. They kind of pretend they don't have needs or desires. Yes. So... And they find it difficult to say no. Well, impossible to even say what it is <laughs> that they would prefer to do. Oh, okay. They fit in immediately with 
the other. There may be an individual within a relationship. It might be within a family or a workplace. So keen to be seen in a positive light and to be perceived to be cooperative that they entirely put aside their own needs and desires as if they don't exist. So is there a distinction here between that person and the person who says, look, the way I feel happy in the world is by doing things for others. I love cooking for the family. I love driving my kids around. I love facilitating their happiness. I mean, they're obviously similar, but is there a distinction between one who's perhaps doing it so that they don't feel bad about themselves seeking approval from others and another who's genuinely getting uh, a, a more healthy satisfaction from it or not? Yes. Yes. Yes, well, let's, let's make that distinction really clear. The one which you're sort of describing in a rather altruistic way yes. that is really essential to making social groups work. You need people in social groups who give, yeah, genuinely give. They cook, they do, they volunteer. They often know that they derive considerable pleasure from it. They're not frustrated by it. They enjoy it. Mm. They actually are not doing it simply to seek the approval of the group they genuinely feel better about yes. themselves. So their need to feel good <laughs> through giving, through altruism, is being met. Yes. It's not something they expect to be made a saint for. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't expect public recognition. They do it in a sense in a desirable way. They're meeting a desire. It feels good. Yeah, okay. So then That's good. And it's good for them and it's good for the group. Moving further along the spectrum when it becomes less good, does it become more uh, more about uh, you know seeking the approval of others, which perhaps sounds like a recipe for insecurity? If you people please to an, an excessive degree, is it bad for your mental health? Do you think, look, if I, this person's asked me to do something, I better do it and then they'll think well of me, they won't think badly of me. So the insecurity word you raise is critical. Mm. If I don't fit in, if I don't do exactly as required, I will be excluded. Yeah. Because really I'm not valuable otherwise. Mm. <laughs> so got to suppress my own desires, my own need, my own preferred way of doing things to fit in, yes. to be subservient to whatever I perceive to be the need or the desire to keep the other, that others are one, yeah. In relationships, you see a lot, or in a family, or in a workplace, or in a social group to fit in. Otherwise, they'll kick me out. Otherwise, I'll be excluded. Otherwise, I'll have no role. Is it so, always about that, or is it sometimes about if I don't do that, I'm a bad person? You know, I'm so selfish. Or is it always about wanting to belong, being being anxious about being disapproved of? So the disapproval is you're a bad person. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's actually linked. You know, we're going to kick you. It's the fear. We're going to kick you out. <laughs> no, but there's a distinction between they think I'm a bad person and if I don't do this, I think I'm a bad person, I guess. Well, it's a sort of chicken and egg. How did you get there in the first place? Yes, right. How did you get there? Have, have you had experiences where people have turned on you in childhood, in families, and blamed you? You know, it's kind of like how do people get there? Okay, well, so people may have that. had a developmental set of experiences where they have been blamed, they have been told, they have been told you're a bad person. <laughs> So this feels like it comes back to the family, back to early childhood. If you had parents that, you know, did blame you a lot, oh, you stupid child, why did you break that plate? You know, when you it's just an innocent kid accidentally breaking something. So I think one of the pathways 
into this what we're calling pretty dysfunctional way of operating socially hmm. is through that kind of experience yeah. for no really good reason yeah. other than the frustration of those parents, others, family, whoever. You've actually had those experiences. So, so, so you've been, you, you haven't just thought you're a bad person. You've been, you've been told, told you or, you've been ex- or you've been excluded or you've been punished for it. And, you know, clearly in a sort of learnt behaviour then way, well, 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 have you've you learnt to that- fit in because otherwise – You've learned that the approval of others, if you have those experiences in early childhood from your parents and perhaps others, you've learned that the approval of others is precarious and it can- Capricious. Capricious. It can vanish quickly if you make any mistake. So whatever you can do to maintain the approval of others, you better bloody well do it because one little mistake and it could be gone. You're out. Yeah, right. The relationship sunk. You'll be punished. Yeah. It's punitive. It's exclusion and the exclusion bit, I mean, beyond sort of this notion of physical punishment, it's the exclusion, the blame. So you end up with the I am a bad person. So even little kids can be thinking, and and this can, you know, eight-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, if they have had that experience, they can think, my job is to try and make my parents happy and continue to earn their approval. But that obviously isn't, in an ideal world, a kid's job. Yeah, so while I would say that's one pathway, mm. I wouldn't say that's the common pathway. I mean, that's a pretty dysfunctional okay. dysfunctional set of experiences in parenting or in upbringing to have had a lot of that. Well, before we go to the more common one, can I ask you about an even more arguably dysfunctional one? If a child is abused, is that an extreme example of that? And then does people-pleasing become a, a survival strategy almost? Yeah, I think sadly in the really abusive situations and you do run into this kind of um, personality type then mm. where the identity is almost completely gone <laughs> and, and and children and adolescents may appear kind of quite passive, just have no capacity to express themselves, just take on the identity of whatever is required Right. To fit into the group, to right. fit into the relationship become and become very passive. And you went in these situations like, you know, how come that person puts up with that? How come that relationship they're in now, which is mm. clearly to anyone else abusive or, you know, punitive or, or degrading, you know, how come they put up with it? Because <laughs> yeah. like, others come on and go, surely you should, you know, stand up for yourself. Surely you should leave. Surely you should assert. You go, no. And there's a kind of absence of that sort of. What well, seems like will, like seems like motivation, but this sufficiently strong sense of self, what I might need, right, which is being attacked or being undermined, to just fit in with yeah. the approved. So people have who become almost entirely submissive and agreeable, and go along with. And it's kind of an interesting thing to run in with because people often kind of look and go like, that person's like so passive. They just fit in. They mm. just accept. You hear them being abused by their spouse or partner or family or something, and they just seem to kind of accept it. The rest of us go, hang on a second, like where's their sense of self? Where's their kind of stand up for themselves kind of thing? And I think we've missed the point. What you've described sounds like me and lots and lots of other people in their teen years. In in our teen years, as as we've discussed, we often move from seeing the family as a central unit to the peer group, and the peer group becomes incredibly important, and a peer group in your teen years is often more fickle and judgmental and tenuous than one's family, right? They can cast you out a little bit more easily than a family. Very tempting in that circumstance to become a super people pleaser because you want to stay in the group. Okay. So let's put aside for now the really severe bit we were just dwelling on. 
and and the abusive childhood long term developmental thing, which really disturbs personality development and identity development. So while it's one way into being people pleasing or sort of submissive and agreeable, or apparently agreeable, it's the uncommon one. The common one is the one you just alluded to. Okay, is actually particularly in teenagers and others, where you being part of the group, <laughs> being part of new relationships is critical. Yeah, but to be that, there's this kind of if you don't take on the identity of mm, us, if you exactly. don't behave like us, the team, the group, the cult, <laughs> you're out. You become an actor. Really? Well, you you're have acting to. Acting the yes. perfect group member. Acting the perfect group member. In fact, really interesting things with sort of cults and with groups and with gangs and all sorts of things. You know, like people go, how did that person get into that? Like, where, where mm. they were this nice kid and now they're dressing like this, doing that doing all sorts of things we strongly disapprove of, where have they gone? <laughs> well, yeah. fitting in in that particularly teenage and young adult period is, you know. It's vital. Vital. And it's not constrained to that. I mean, of course, great kind of movements throughout history which have recruited people, you know, to identities, to armies, to cults, mm-hmm. to really bad things. Ideologies. Re- ideologies. Yeah. You know, if you ever watch you know, sort of Nuremberg rallies of recruitment to the Nazi mm-hmm. kind of idea, and you see this in commonly pictures of all sorts of fascist regimes marching up and down in odd steps, the complete loss of identity. Everyone looks the same. Yep. You know, to fit in, you have to give away yeah. all individual identity. And so many authoritarian kind of regimes, many totalitarian structures just require the complete submission to to the group idea. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're out, or otherwise, your life might be on the line. You might actually be, you know, but, but it's a teenage thing. So, that's interesting, isn't it? You're finding an identity in the group, whether it's a teenage peer group or some, you know, cult. You're finding a strong, clear identity in the group where things are, you know, the way you should be is, is made really clear to you and you don't have to think about it. And the sacrifice is you're losing the freedom to express yourself as an individual. To, well, it's to kind of interesting because you actually you lose actually you do lose the anxiety you're expressing. <laughs> yeah, you were worried. You know, if you're having got an identity, like you're worried about who am I and where am I going and how should I do things and what should I really do? Oh, and here's where we're going. Hang on, they've told me we know exactly how to do. Cut your hair like this, dress in this funny uniform, march like this, and you're in, buddy. And just stick to the rules. Be entirely stick to the rules of the organisation. Get up, do this, follow that. Now, you don't have to worry about it anymore. And as long as you do it and fit in, you're part of the group. You have an identity. So we know that in the teenage teenage years, there's a lot of that search for identity, moving away from the family into what, who am I, blah, 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 a lot of anxiety. Has there ever been a study that tried to track whether people who are attracted to those sort of concrete groups where their identity is prescribed are those who've suffered from, you know, a lot of anxiety about what to do and who they are. Yes. There are quite a lot of developmental studies in two groups. One is the kind of abused kids yeah. we talked about earlier on. They are yep. much more likely to end up in these things then provide security hmm. at a price. Hmm. Obedience. <laughs> Subservience. Would you put religions in that category to a degree? I was degree, just perhaps? kind of avoiding that yeah. topic till you mentioned it. <laughs> oh, 
Wow. But I was thinking historically, I, I've been mentioning kind of fascist regimes. I was thinking about things a little less structured. But of course, religion, religions in their religious practices. They give you a very clear set of Clear set of rules, clear set of guidelines, yeah. what to do. And if you follow those things, you're accepted as part of the flock. I love the idea that the shepherd and his flock, well, sheep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, interesting metaphor, sheep. Well, yeah. I t- say this because I'm not. Uh, ridiculing here. It's, no. it's used widely and is widely spoken of, of course, in the Christian religions of the shepherd and his flock mm. type stuff, which is kind of interesting that people are just sheep. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't really know what to do. So, got to be told what to do, got to be shepherded in the right place. Otherwise, their intrinsically bad selves will take over. So, you know, got to make sure. And that yeah. bad self is a willful self, is a self that wants to do things, that wants to desire things, and might even develop its own identity. <laughs> Uh, by the way, if you can hear a little bit of uh, collar rustling in the background, we are joined by Ian Stogg. Buzz. Buzz. We're joined by Buzz. Buzz would like to join you at this I, point. I, if I've had a son, I wanted to call him Buzz. Right. But I never did have a son and Lucy would have vetoed it. But anyway, so g'day, Buzz. Um, it seems to me that whilst we've started out with what I thought would be a fairly specific topic, people-pleasing, we're really entering one of the huge... I don't know, conflicts, one of the huge spectrums, dilemmas facing every human, individual versus the group. It really is a, a, a theme that covers us in in work, in our social life, in family, everywhere, everywhere right? And you've got to find the answer. No. Each of us has to find the answer <laughs> to that. Oh. Well, we do. And you said the critical thing is a developmental thing. As a teenager, you've got to find the identity without becoming an isolate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you've also got to find groups, relationships, families, workplaces in which you can fit in, mm. that you've got enough social behaviour to compromise, reconcile your desires, needs, wants with what the group needs to actually do to yeah. achieve its purpose. So the tension between the two is strong. Yes. And ending up in one or the other entirely isolate or entitled people or group policing is bad for your mental health. Yeah. But in the middle is a tension. <laughs> You and I started out by saying, we're not so good at this. You know, mm. as you mentioned, we've got a dog here today. He's very good at it. He'll just go and go along with whatever the group oh, wants. Yeah, ultimate people. Because ultimate people, please, are dogs. You know, they're pack people. They're group but people. But we don't know whether it's because he's type A, someone who's altruistic and does it because the dog just enjoys that, or type B, incredibly insecure about the approval and food um, of getting approval and food from humans. Well, it is interesting. I'm going to use the dog example now. We do know that built-in dogs are the best example. I mean, dogs have actually, do you know that we've discussed it before, domestic dogs have co-evolved with humans. We've influenced them and they've influenced us to be part of packs, part of groups. So we have an inbuilt group behavior, which is a strong affiliate kind of thing, strong bonding kind of issues. And we've discussed before the neurobiology of this, the oxytocin of this, what drives it, keeps us together because we survive better. Mm. So dogs are quite good at it. And they don't like being on their own. They can be. We're going to do an episode on pets. They can be, but they prefer, so they fit in. Now they get rewarded. Yeah. (laughs) They get rewarded. They get fed. They get looked after. But they contribute to the emotional world and clearly, I mean, dogs get anxious. You you said we don't know whether they're anxious, but dogs do get anxious. Particularly when we're away. Particularly when they're on their own. Mm. So, and as with humans, we don't do well in isolation. So there's needing to find a way of transacting what I want. Now, what humans are good at is expressing or at least understanding they've got their own individual desires. Like most of us have some idea what's going on in our own head, mm. <laughs> what I would – and, and so, as you so develop every it, day, I mean, if you think about it, unless you live a very isolated life, 
every day you're doing what Ian has just described, transacting, negotiating between what you want and what the group wants. Now, the group might be your family, it might be your friends, it might be your workplace, could be any one of a number of other groups, but they all want stuff. And sometimes you line up with that and sometimes you don't. And I don't know about you, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm not exhausted by all the work or stuff I've done. I'm exhausted by the nego- c- continual the negotiations. The negotiations. And I think in the modern, well, in the modern world, we have many choices. So we were just commenting about things, which I'm a bit sort of down on, generally speaking, because I'm not good at it. Being part of a religion, being part of a group, taking on a group identity. I don't, mm. and I think you and I mm. don't fit so well in that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, so we tend to go on the uh, like to give some priority to my own needs, but we do need to transact that every day. We'd like to keep the number of transactions lower if we could. Yes. We'd prefer not to go around the same tree. And make them easy. And make them easy. And generally a fair number to finish on being pretty consistent with what I wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> do you know what I've often said in my family, and it's never worked, I've said, if you know, some issue comes up, I said, if we can just w- have this conversation now, it won't be pleasant. But if we can work it out now and just work out what's going to happen and what you're going to do and what I'm going to do, we never have to talk about it again. And uh, it never works. Never works. Later, yeah. <laughs> never works. <laughs> I just want to have things uh, where you can okay. work it out and never We're talk We're going to have it. a slightly male moment here. <laughs> Many middle-aged men well, I, I don't know. know. No, no. Wish, because I think you've said everything. We would wish to reduce the number of transactions. We don't want to go around the thing 10 times. If we have to find a common solution, could we do it now and move on? Yes. Let's just work out a template, but humans, pass a law. Yeah, and humans, particularly when there's more than two, <laughs> it gets complicated. Yeah. I'm often struck, in fact, if you see, you know, the classic command structures in armies and stuff, you know, one general, one person in charge, pilot, it is, there has to be one person in charge. So a decision gets made. Because mm-hmm. humans have a tendency, particularly when there's more than two, to have about five opinions, <laughs> and each is pulling in the – even those things where people are trying to solve problems together. This happens in my life quite a lot. There's a lot of independent people who are quite good at running their own lives and making decisions. But he's presented with a problem. Yeah. There's five different solutions. You start down one and somebody says, oh, no, I think we should do it this way. And a third person joins in, no, I think we should do it a different way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you've got three or four completely conflicting problem-solving behaviours crashing across each other. I know all these people who go on holidays with like three other couples. So there's eight people, four couples. And I think, how the hell do you ever work out how what to do every day? Like, how do you how do you get eight people to agree to play tennis at eleven or go to the beach? Like, I yeah, I'm amazed. Well, I think in the modern world, for example, that's really hard because mm. people and and people who are functional and achieving and independent people in their midlife find it very hard then to fit back into the group tour Definitely. <laughs> or the breakfast will be at eight. <laughs> so then let's bring it back to people pleasing. Some people on this spectrum of negotiating between individual needs and group needs, they're really selfish and they just stay down the individual side and they just think, well, I'm doing it this way and join in if you don't and if you want to and if you don't, okay, I'll, I'll go off on my own. But what we're and, t- and what happens to a lot of those people? I'm pretty happy. They, uh, live, they live alone. <laughs> yeah. Not unhappily necessarily, but they yeah. live alone. So we're talking about people at the other end of the spectrum who their solution is to just be extremely agreeable externally and they so much uh, fear being excluded from the group that they have to 
agree with everything and smile and nod and, and does never it work? say no. And does it work? Yeah, does it work? Does it work? No. No. So in my professional world, we end up with two of those groups of people in mental health care. One was the earlier group, the very disturbed personality, but there's, the person's not there. They've been so abused and so hurt mm. that their development of identity has been seriously interfered with. Really, yeah. really complicated group. The second group is the group who've been doing this all their lives, right? From I, maybe 10 years. Yeah, particularly from 10 years onwards, but within families. And they're really nice people, right? And they do respond a lot to the care of others. But underneath that is a real frustration. Nobody ever takes account of me. Right. Like I know I've got this stuff and I really would prefer but have great trouble expressing that. Yeah. I bet you every listener, I know I am, has a picture of someone they know in their head right now. I think we Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty common, isn't Look, it? I was, I was talking about my professional world. So in my clinic and in my clinical world, I've met a lot of those people. Yeah, but in my wider social world, yeah, yes, I can name names. <laughs> so so some but of the cases- It's interesting to think about because, because here's the problem. Often those people do do a lot. Like yeah. they contribute a lot. They're awesome. So one doesn't want to criticise their contribution. Well, well, we're not criticising them. Aren't we just saying if you are someone like that, it may be beneficial to kind of identify yourself as someone who is a people pleaser and work out whether it might be being detrimental to your mental health, like not necessarily making you mentally ill, but whether you would be happier if you could get a bit more balance in there. Right. And, and what we will do yeah, so that's, shortly is give yeah. you some ideas about how to do, do that. Well, I'm going to go to the other side of the coin too, because if, if you have such a person in your family or social group or you've got a kid like this, you're yeah. a parent of a kid like that, then you've got another role, which is rather than just take all the time, is to turn around and say, hey, um, what would you prefer to do? Hey, uh, you know, it's really nice you've done that, but um, maybe, you you know, you've got a different point of view. Maybe you'd like to do something oh, else. Maybe, you've got to really help them. Yeah, you've got to point out, and I'd say this particularly to parents of kids who are like this or, or in relationships, the other person being entirely submissive all the time or giving all the time, whatever else, is somewhat exhausting too because you know behind it. It's not the whole story. Right. So, and, so, and the person who's not being assertive, the person who's not expressing it, is digging a deeper hole. So quick role play. Uh, oh, no, let's, let's do what okay. you, you right. want to, let's do. Which, you which, want to which do. role am I taking? You're, you're the <laughs> I'm not really concerned friend. I'm oh, okay. the people pleaser. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's go with that. Yeah, okay. So, James, mm. you know, you're really good about setting these things up, always oh, no, making sure. It's fine. I suspect, James, I know, I actually don't suspect, I know that's not the case. I really do know that's not the case. No, no. So what I'm going to do is in these things, rather than just agree, uh, I'm going to ask you, or I'm going to suggest we do it the other way around. Okay, whatever you'd like. No, I'm going to do that. No, I'm going to actually proceed with it. Now, you've got to keep saying that. Now, here's the thing. If I'm on the other side, rather than talk about it, I need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, like with a parent with a kid, you may, you know, actually need to put aside your you preferred way of doing it. And really almost be a detective to try and work out what they actually want to do. And I reckon for people you know fairly closely, you've probably got an idea about that. Yeah. What intrinsically that person would prefer, enjoy, how they would approach the problem if they were not so subject to this needing to be approved. 
Yeah. Um, signs you might be a people pleaser. Is it you? Hard to say no. Very concerned with what others think. Feel guilty, even anxious, if you do have to say no. Say yes guilty, to Guilty, guilty. Just don't let that yeah. one go. Mm. We've been talking about anxiety, but guilt is a really there's there's sort of different levels to this. Being a bit anxious about being disapproved is one thing, but feeling really guilty about it, yeah. I've really let those people down. I'm and this goes to the bad person thing you were alluding to earlier on. So guilt is a guilt. A, you know, one of the reasons I really don't like a lot of religions is the extent to which they reinforce guilt. Oh yeah, yeah. So, you are a bad person, mm. and it is your fault, and you're going to go to hell, or you're going to. Yeah. You know, the guilt thing for those who tap into it. Uh, some of us don't tap into this so easily, <laughs> but for those who tap into it, it's really destructive. And a lot of people argue the value of it. I'd like to argue against that. Mm, mm. So things that reinforce guilt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not your fault. You didn't do that. You don't have to feel bad. Yeah. A couple of other signs. You often tell people you're sorry. And I would imagine- Sorry, sorry, sorry. If you sorry, ever sorry, do sorry. have to say yeah. no, you seek reassurance from them. You know, I can't do Is that Okay. And then 10 minutes later, I'm really, is, are you sure it's okay? Like you want to be sure you're not going to be excluded. Is there a, yeah? Mm, that's, a good, that's a really good example. Actually, I'm glad you raised that one. If I could ask the same question four times. <laughs> Start to get irritated. Well, it is irritating. It is. So the person thinks they're, you know, really, really making sure. Fixing things. But they're actually starting to annoy you. Yep, yeah. <laughs> and it can be hard. This is the other side of the coin I think that people pleasers don't see. It can be quite hard to be with. Someone yeah. who is so people-pleasing. Yeah. Sure that's okay? Sorry, 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 we didn't do that right. Do we need to do it again? No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, and maybe people-pleasers have a bit of perfectionism, which we've, uh, we've just released an episode on perfectionism, but they, the, about themselves, I have to be perfect. You know, I have, to, I have to have really high standards for who I am so that the group continues to accept me. Yeah, it's and it's it, but it's sort of externalized rather than perfectionism just internally. Yeah, I didn't do that exactly right to fit in exactly the way. Are they going to kick me that out? He, that he wanted it yeah. to, and so and that, so we'll need to do it again. Hmm. I'll have to do it ten times over. I'll have to one present won't be enough. I'll have to buy him three presents. Hmm. You know, and again, it can be. I don't think what people please people pleasers often realize it can be exhausting on the other side. Yeah. You made the comment earlier on. We'd like a lot of transactions to end. <laughs> The people-pleasing thing tends to go round and round and round again. So let's um, – we've talked about how other people might be able to assist people-pleasers. How, if you do have these tendencies in your ha in yourself, how can you reduce them and hopefully improve your mental health? Um, establishing kind of boundaries. Now, we're, we're going to do an episode on boundaries very soon, um, and so we'll talk about that more uh, in that. But with respect to people-pleasing, what can we say about boundaries? So recognition, me and the other. Yeah. Okay, so they've got to reestablish me here. What we're saying is me's got lost. <laughs> so recognising that you do have legitimate desires, legitimate needs, legitimate preferences. It's okay to preferences. <laughs> you know, a lot of things are just my way versus your way. They're just yeah. different. No right or wrong. One is not right or wrong. Exactly. Mm. So one's an internal reorganisation, but, it, but it, then a more of an exploration of the me bit. Mm. What is me really frustrated by? What is me really seeking? What is satisfying. And then the expression of that is assertiveness, is the willingness to put that in the public domain and have it be the subject then of negotiation, putting your cards on the table in any negotiation. So that's that's 
really hard for lots of people. and Really for, hard? For, for everyone at some point in their lives. If you imagine the first time you stood up in a meeting at work and, and floated something out there that wasn't the established line, like it's scary. You're going to be judged and ditto in a friend group and ditto in any group. So assertiveness and assertiveness training, like exposure therapies for anxiety, start with the little ones. Don't start with the, okay, yeah. I'm going to work. <laughs> I'm hopping up for the first time ever after working there for 20 years to tell the boss. <laughs> yeah, you're terrible. Everything's going to change. It's all going to change. Start with little things that don't really matter that much. Got to get into the habit mm. of putting on the table what your preference would be. Yeah. I would prefer not to eat meat tonight. <laughs> I'd prefer to go out. I would prefer... Whatever. I've got a preference. I actually have a preference. Now, we're, that mean- all, we're all having cappuccinos. I'll have a flat white. <gasps> I will have sugar with that. Hmm. You know, I, well, I, not, not even I will. I'd prefer yeah. my preference. So that's, that's I have an a internal view. thing, isn't it? Yeah. There's, the external, there's the external voicing of it, which we can call assertiveness. But prior to that, there has to be the internal the internal kind of working out of what we actually want. Because I reckon a lot of people pleasers kind of have, have just ignored that So step. it's been suppressed. It's yeah. been pushed down. It's been rejected for a very long time at great cost, mm. as, if the, as if you didn't have a preference, as if yes. you didn't have a desire, as if you wouldn't prefer to wear blue, you know, like you do. So one of the things, okay. And people vary in their preferences about the most minor things mm. through to major things in relationships and families. And having preferences, we having developed ourselves and individual differences in humans are large. Yeah. And express, expressing the preference is okay. So you need so, to express so the preference used, and not get rejected. But first you've got to get used to actually got to have the mental thought. thinking about yeah. what your preference is. So yeah. it's a two-step process. Actually – well, three-step, thinking about what your preference is, uh, marking that as significant, not necessarily something that has to be- um, But it exists. It exists. It's it, there. It's legitimate. And then the third step is voicing it. Yeah, voicing it. Now, the, it doesn't mean necessarily winning it. No, it just means you, I mean, it's you're out a preference. there, you're part of the you put it in the thing, you know, well, we, you know, family gets together. What are they going to do for the next somebody next next birthday or next family event? There'll be five or six different preferences. My place, your place, or no, we'll all go out. Whatever. Just a series of preferences. Then the negotiation can start, mm, mm. <laughs> and people can problem solve collectively. But your preference is on the table and as is as legitimate as anybody else's. I've hosted Christmas the last five years. Perhaps it's someone else's turn. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. I, I would prefer. Yeah, and not remember, to this year. good relationships should have recipro reciprocity yeah. and everyone knows all the talk about diversity over the last decade. Good groups have a diversity of thought. So actually it's not good for the group if anyone just kind of dominates. passively Well one one person dominates yeah, one that's view. Bad. But also if someone passively agrees with all the others, what are they really adding They're not to helping. the group? Yeah. They're not helping. And I think that's a very good point. If and I'm, I am one of the people that thinks diversity of views matters. Hmm. I love to have groups. Me too, people. if they agree with me. <laughs> I love to have people disagree with me. Do you? Um, of course, I hope in the end they're going to agree with me, yeah. see the wisdom of my way. But but in a lot of things, uh, you made an interesting comment earlier on. You think I'm good at this. I don't know that I am. But I am good at saying what I want. But I think, I think I'm not that bad of negotiating with others that there may be a common solution or a variation on what I wanted to do, which is influence. Now, that does depend on people expressing that view. 
if it's not expressed. Yes. There's no point in having diverse people in a room if only one view gets expressed. Yes. Or if everyone else fits in with that because I'm in charge of the thing or I'm the dominant voice in the thing. So you said a really important thing. Diversity only works if the views of the diverse group are expressed. Exactly. And then, of course, what you want to see is the kind of outcome. Hopefully, they are not always dismissed. <laughs> Hopefully, the group does work towards ways of including those perspectives in the solution or in the, in the action that follows. But it can't happen if it's never expressed. Yep. So you're quite right. Got it in your own head first. I'm banging on my own skull here. <laughs> my preference is. And, and organise your time, have priorities and goals. People pleasers probably often suppress their own priorities and goals. But if you have clear priorities and goals about what you want to do this week, a project you want to accomplish over the next six months, then suddenly the opportunity cost of saying yes to everyone's request becomes greater because it infringes, uh, it can infringe on your own priorities. So make sure you have them. They are important. And before you actually go and do this a third of stuff, rehearse it. You know, alone, just think, how am I going to say this and what am I going to say and how am I going to do it in a reasonable way? You did an interesting thing before, role play it. Yeah. There are lots, and in fact, in assertive- Me and are available for assertive, role plays. Yeah. <laughs> James, particularly Send us an In assertive training with therapists and whatever, a lot of or people will- Well, I've got to say, <clears throat> again, problem here, you don't have to pay a therapist. Yeah. A friend, a partner, somebody else, parents can do I, this I do it on my kids. own. Like whenever I have to have a difficult conversation with someone, I you go, rehearse it. I go for a walk, yeah, and I run what I, my arguments in my mind, and I kind of try and anticipate what they might say, and I kind of just practice my answers, and they get better and better by the time. But you're a, yes, that that's the, and that's very helpful. It is. For what me. a lot of our people, people who's there at the moment, the person on the other side, they moves an eyebrow, or oh, has a slightly they bow, they quit. Yeah. Okay. So they've rehearsed it a thousand times in their head. At the first nonverbal sign of disapproval, yes. a slightly raised tone, they immediately retreat. Mm. So role playing that about how to overcome that and exactly. stick at it. Now, this is where I really think this is where friends, families, parents, others can really help. Yeah. Great. Recruit and, and people you with, feel safe with teenagers and so yeah. So a teenager, kids at school needs to express a certain kind of view. You can be the parent. You might not, who actually role plays that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Or you can help your parent. Or you could help your parent to be yeah. a better parent. I mean, you you would be aware if your parent is a people pleaser. Now, last question. You said that underneath the people pleaser's amiability and agreeableness, there can sometimes be great frustration. Does that ever come out? I'm not talking taxi driver style, but in a kind of a, maybe explosion's too big a word, but an outpouring of, of rage and anger. Yes. And, and, and it, well, it often busts relationships. Mm. You know, people being submissive and not getting their own needs met for a long period of time in a particular relationship, then let it loose. Yeah. And the relationship ends, the family thing ends, something happens. They've been so agreeable and the damn wall busts. Yeah. And the only way to deal with it then is to end the relationship, is to and, – and, and to blame the other 
for having been totally controlling, totally dominating, totally whatever. The person goes, hang on a second. You appeared to be happy. You appeared to be happy with what the way I was doing things. Where's my partner going? Who are you? I thought you were on board with all of this kind of stuff. So often in a lot of couples therapy, relationship therapies, separation therapies, exactly these issues arise. And you go, hang on, how long has this been going on? Oh, about 20 years. How come we never talked about it? How come we never got to the bit? I reckon so. So it's interesting because you raise an interesting thing. There's a lot of tension about unresolved stuff. Mm. So sometimes things that seem tense, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, don't shy away from the uncomfortableness. Try and try and get in there in a gentle way. Any questions, comments? If you want to suggest further topics for us to discuss, please send us an email. And thanks for all those that we've received so far. Minding your mind two. Minding your mind uh, number two. Money, my numeral two. Is that right? That's clear. At gmail.com. The book version of Minding Your Mind, written by Ian and myself, is available, as is Ian's book about depression, The Devil You Knew. Our podcast is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health, and Lifeline. Google them. You can call Lifeline on 131114.